Pontifax listeners, we have a very special episode right now. That's right. Today, we bring you an exclusive special short episode of Purely Pope Watch. So if you are unaware as to what this episode is about or why we're releasing a special episode, this is because the Catholic Church just had their first council dealing with the uh, abuse and protection of minors and all the, the sexual scandals that are happening in the church. And it's the first one in its history like it. So we felt that it was very important to follow this very closely because it's obviously the most important Pope story of the era, for sure. And what comes out of this is probably going to impact how people feel about the papacy from this point forward. With that in mind, I am going to tell you all of the things that I did when I was literally Pope watching. I'm going to give you all of the information about what happened at this council. All right, I want to hear. I, I'm interested. Yeah, okay, so this meeting was called, if you were following it on any social media, it was kind of colloquially termed the PBC 2019, and... There isn't, I couldn't find a place that actually translated that, but that is coming from an Italian statement, like an Italian name for it that, for whatever reason, no one wrote down anywhere. So in English, it was just called the Meeting on the Protection of Minors in the Church. And if you want to visit the official website, it is www.pbc2019.org. And I suggest you do because they did put out quite a lot of information as it was happening and they have quite a lot of information on the website now. This council was held on February 21st to 24th of the current year, 2019, in Rome, with the themes of the council being responsibility, accountability, and transparency. The program itself were actually... We're not going to go over day by day kind of how it broke down because there was a lot of prayer, coffee break, penitential liturgy, coffee break, small groups, blah, blah, blah. Coffee prayer? Well, that is something we're going to get to on a future Pope in the future, so. A coffee prayer? Uh, coffee things. There is Pope Coffee Associations. Uh, I, that's a fair long ways away still, but it's there, so. But I'm going to just kind of give you a rundown of what the program kind of included, the highlights, what they were talking about, who was talking, and then we'll go over what matters. So the program included a lot of testimonials from survivors, and there was this one moment near the end which uh, it really, really had a strong impact on people where one survivor played the violin for the entire council during a penitential service. Oh, that'll always get people pull out the violin. Oh, man. And apparently it was this something that the survivor had turned to to kind of move on from their troubles and their trauma. They kind of turned into music. So it was a very powerful moment for the people who were there. There were a lot of people who tweeted after it, and they were very emotionally taken by that experience. So there was that part. There was a whole bunch of talks and presentations after which was followed by a question and answer period after each one. So these are the main reports. The first was Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagle, which spoke about his, his talk was called Feel the Difficulties and Heal the Wounds. Then we had Monsignor Charles Jude Cicluna, 
whose presentation was called The Church as a Field Hospital slash Taking Responsibility. Then Cardinal Ruben Salazar Gomez speaking on The Pierced Church slash Coping with Conflicts and Acting Decisively. Then Cardinal Oswald Gracias spoke on Collegiality Sent on Mission. Then Cardinal Blaise Joseph Kupik spoke on Synodality and Shared Responsibility. Dr. Linda Gissoni spoke on Communio, Acting Together. The Superior General Sister Veronica Openibo spoke on Be Available, Sent in the World. And this one was a very frank and powerful speaker. She was kind of a highlight moment of this. When she spoke, she said, If you do not decide in a radical way to be on the side of children, mothers, families, civil society, you are right to be afraid of us because we journalists who seek the common good will be your worst enemies. She spoke directly to the church like that, and uh, we're going to go over in a little bit more detail as we go on some of the some of her particular strong points. Then Cardinal Reinhard Marx spoke on a presentation called A Transparent Community of Believers, and finished with Dr. Valentina Alizraki, who spoke about communication to all people. So if you go to the website now, or if you went to the website during the council, what you would find on there was a lot of the documents that they were actually, you can find most of the presentations. You can also find a lot of documents and homilies and communication that they were dealing with. So they were exploring a lot of documents that the church has presented in the past regarding child abuse in the church and the response of the church so they could evaluate um, there is also, really interestingly, an overview of canon law procedure and how currently cases of abuse are treated in the church. It's interesting, one thing that I, when I was reading it that stood out, it says, The church recognizes that child sexual abuse is also a crime pursued by civil authority, considering that although relations with civil authorities differ in different countries, it is important to cooperate with them in their respective competences. So there is actually a a precedent set in canon law to work with civil authorities in these cases. So this is this is really interesting. And then now, now that the council is over, they also provide a lot of resources for guidelines and activities all over the world that are happening to protect minors, where people can go for help, and so on and so on. So so far. It sounds like they're doing a fairly good job of putting those pieces together. So let's talk about how it all actually played out. The council opened with Pope Francis demanding that the church be concrete when confronting sexual abuse and issued a list of 21 action items for the council to consider. We're going to discuss some of those as we go on. Uh, then there was a moment where Cardinal Reinhard Marx admitted that the Catholic Church has, in fact, destroyed documented files for decades of sexual abuse of children. I mean, I feel like the entire world knew that already. Yes, but this is the first time they're actually openly ad admitting it, yeah. And he said either the records were destroyed or they were never started. So there's going to be a lot of cases that they don't have any actual documented record for. But even the cases that they did, a lot of that was destroyed. So of his speech, when he spoke about this, he talked about how the church administration had left victims' rights trampled underfoot, 
prevented institutional action against abuse. Quote, Instead of the perpetrators, the victims were regulated and silence imposed upon them. Procedures and processes for prosecuting offenses were deliberately not complied with, cancelled, or overridden. So at this point, when they're looking back on the church and how they've handled these cases, they're getting an absolutely failing grade from themselves. He stressed a very strong need for transparency, but also traceability. So his big point was not only do we need to document these cases so specifically and with such detail, we also need to follow up when a case has been reported. That we need to not just deal with it in the moment. It needs to be followed up on. And this will be a theme that comes up. They were really, really focused on the idea of accompaniment for victims. So continually outreaching to people who have been victims and not leaving them alone after this horrible thing has happened to them. So he also condemned the use of the pontifical secret, which is the fact that the church has a pretty strong right to confidentiality in these cases. And he thinks that it needs to be done away with, that that should not be a thing that happens anymore. So that was a very, that was a very strong speech. His was, was very powerful. And the other one that was extremely powerful, of course, was Sister Veronica Oppenibo's address. She, I read a little quote from her already, but she just straight out comes in there and she's this very powerful figure and she condemns the church's culture of, quote, mediocrity, hypocrisy, and complacency that made the church such a disgraceful and scandalous place. She took direct aim and criticized priests who supported other priests rather than victims, because this is a strong theme that they're seeing in the church. She even spoke directly to Francis and said that she admired him for, quote, being humble enough to change his mind, to apologize, and take action. Because as we know, Pope Francis did feel that he had failed when it came to the Latin America abuse scandals and that he had defended people who shouldn't have been defended. And so he came out and apologized from that. She called on the church for complete transparency and asked the question that everyone is asking, why did we keep silent for so long? So very, very powerful speaking, lots of really good presentations. The actual things that came out of the council, uh, there were four measures laid out by Jesuit father Federico Lombardi that actually came out of it. The four things that they started to resolve to do. And they kind of, they break down into eight real points. So the first is that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith want to publish a new Vatamicum, which is a handbook to help bishops around the world clearly understand their duties and tasks with regard to abuse. They need a handbook to tell them what to do. Yeah, they really shouldn't, but it's probably more of a, like, here are the, the guidelines and the steps to take. So, like, you know, yeah, if you're saddled with something like this, and then you're like, well, now what do I do with this information? Right, right. So they're basically setting some precedents in place with this one. And then the eight points that came forward to develop in legislation kind of there's eight points, but they kind of work out into the measures that will go forward. So the first is more of a PR announcement where they make a promise that children would be protected, quote, a change of mentality to take place to combat defensive slash reactive approach 
and priority to the victims rather than to the institution. Point two and three talk about a commitment to, quote, impeccable seriousness of the cases and, quote, genuine purification of the church. Four and five talk about the formation of priests and strengthening and reviewing bishops, conferences, and guidelines. Six talks about that accompaniment for people who have suffered through the abuse. Seven talks about preventing abuse in the digital world. So they want to change the church's norms on child pornography. So basically what this comes down to is they're going to legally within the church raise the threshold of what is considered an image of a child. Because currently, apparently in canon law, the image of a child is defined as somebody who's under 14. But 14 is still fairly young, so now they actually want to raise it to 18 so that they can have a clearly defined boundary there. And point eight talks about preventing sexual tourism that's happening all over the world. Then there were a whole bunch of outcomes that are potentials, right? This is this is all very new. They're not going to come forward in the council and say, we're doing this, this, and this. This is all new law now. But these are things that have been either strongly hinted at or kind of unofficially confirmed are going ahead in some capacity. So the first is that there's a lot of talk that Francis will get rid of this idea of the pontifical secret, that confidentiality and abuse cases will go out the window. Yeah, that sounds great. There's a lot of talk about prosecutions, not only for perpetrators of these crimes, but also for those who are covering it up, which is a new step the church hasn't looked at before. Also great. And then that Jesuit father, Federico Lombardi, who announced the four measures coming out of the church, also spoke the next day after the council, announcing, quote, laws and concrete actions are imminent and just the beginning. So. He is saying that these new laws and canon will come out muto proprio, which is on the Pope's accord. So when the Pope is ready to announce these things, they will come out. It's going to take some time. They talk about how Pope Francis wants to establish a task force to assist dioceses and conferences, quote, that find it difficult to confront the problems and produce initiatives for the protection of minors. So if we're in a position where there is a body of the church who may be confronted with accusations against the person who is in highest authority in that area. They will have a task force who can come in and deal with that and kind of supersede that authority because a lot of this is about abuse of power. There's a a lot of talk, especially by Archbishop Sucluna, about involving police and civil authority, so they're working very hard to see if they can introduce something like that. And then they want to establish a specific protocol for handling accusations that focuses on review and investigation. Rather than these stories coming out publicly in the media, they want to actually have a protocol in place to deal with that. And I just kind of want to talk briefly about a couple other things. Um, The first is Francis's concluding address to the whole council. Uh, it's on the website for the council if you want to read it. Most of the things that I'm pulling out of it are from an article from the National Catholic Reporter, who just kind of picked out the most important parts, but I have read the whole thing. The closing address was delivered as a promise that the church is going to decisively confront the abuse of minors, 
but it also warns that ideological disputes and journalistic practices are exploiting this scandal. He refers to clerics that abuse children as tools of Satan's, and these actions are, quote, utterly incompatible with the church's moral authority and ethical credibility. Quote, the church's aim will be to hear, watch over, protect, and care for abused children wherever they are. Quote, we need to recognize with humility and courage that we stand face to face with the mystery of evil, which strikes most violently against the most vulnerable. And, quote, the church has now become increasingly aware of the need not only to curb the gravest cases of abuse by disciplinary measures and civil and canonical processes, but also to decisively confront the phenomenon both inside and outside the church. So that's what he said. Now, general responses to this council, right? We're, we're in a situation that this is the first time the church has ever done anything like this, and people are going to have opinions about that. Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, so do you have any opinions that you want to share about what's said so far? Uh, you know, I'm just glad something's being done, honestly. Yeah, and it seems like there's some real strong divides on this, but there is a lot of people, or there are a lot of people, who are hugely disappointed with the outcome. Especially the fact that there is not, out of this council, directly an officially implemented zero-tolerance policy. That is something they could have done, they could have implemented immediately and gone forward with, and people are very frustrated that that didn't happen. They did say that the Pope would start rolling out more things. They did. Um, but this, this, there is a large group of survivors who have come forward and participated in this. And they, this was their number one. They wanted a, an official acknowledgement of zero tolerance. And they didn't get that. I feel like they may be holding back on a zero tolerance policy just for like, so there's not like lynch mobs. And they do talk about that quite a lot. Um, you know, they do talk about the the devastation that can be caused out of a false accusation or when the media or the public gets a hold of these accusations, it's very hard to get a legitimate investigation done. So they did talk about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where we ask, what is a reasonable expectation out of a council like this? I mean, they have to start somewhere. And somewhere at the beginning is never going to be enough for some people. But I do understand there is a strong frustration over lack of specifics. You know, they just say we're going to concretely and decisively deal with this abuse, but they don't say how. There's a lot of rhetoric. There's not really a lot of bold, clear plans. There's no mandate. And really importantly, there's no mechanism for public accountability. If they don't want these stories going to the media first, how are they going to be publicly accountable? A lot of, like, canon law and laws in general are just, it takes so long to get them so long. into any sort of writing that, like, I'm not surprised that mm -hmm. it's only the first steps, but... Like, I'm, I'm happy the first steps are here. And I feel, I feel the same way about it. I mean, I understand where if you had been through something so terrible that you would wish that a lot of the known abusers in the church had been removed immediately, as we've seen, you know, we've seen some laicizations come down, but those were long and arduous processes to make sure that that's exactly what should happen. The one thing that it did achieve regardless of whatever side you come down on this is global awareness and setting in motion a foundation for the future legislation 
There was a huge effort to make connections with the survivors. There was a huge effort to make a public education on the issue. So those are things that we can say were its triumph, really. So this is the first step. We have to see what comes out of it. Now, I just want to finish on one last issue, and this one may be slightly polarizing, but I think that you and I will absolutely be on the same page as this, so we're going to say it, because one thing I saw come out a lot in terms of people's reaction, especially on Catholic Twitter, was a lot of discussion about how the council didn't openly come out and condemn homosexuality as the root of all the sexual abuse problems that the church is facing it's not though no it's not and that's such absolute horse and a stupid thing for people to believe and i want to address that that if you think that all the sex scandals are happening in the church because of homosexuality you need to reevaluate so there's been psychological studies done read some science people yeah and the only person who actually said anything about this as part of the council or in the media surrounding it was vegano who is the one who came out and, and made the accusation about Pope Francis knowing about everything and blah, 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 blah. I don't like this man at all. He wrote a letter at the time of the council, and I just want to read to you the absolute horse that comes out of this man's mouth. Hashtag anti-Pope Vigano. Oh, God, if he becomes the next Pope, because this man wants to be Pope so badly, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I could give him an episode, so... <laughs> bias. Okay, so here's what he said about it. He said, as to the second silence, this very grave crisis cannot be properly addressed and resolved unless and until we call things by their true names. This is a crisis due to the scourge of homosexuality in its agents, in its motives, in its resistance to reform. It is no exaggeration to say that homosexuality has become a plague in the clergy, and it can only be eradicated by spiritual weapons. It is an enormous hypocrisy to condemn the abuse, claim to weep for the victims, and yet refuse to denounce the root cause of so much sexual abuse, homosexuality. It is hypocrisy to refuse to acknowledge that this scourge is due to a serious crisis in the spiritual life of the clergy and to fail to take the steps necessary to remedy. So the reason I want to end on that is because I just want everyone to have a little bit more reason to hate this piece of man, so... Yeah, I don't, you know, like, there's going to be people who, who disagree with this, with me on this, and I don't care. I don't care if, uh, you know, if you, if you want to blame all of what's going on in the church on that, you're probably not going to enjoy our perspectives on this show anyways, so. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I, I've reported on it here, but if this is, you know, if these kind of stories come out, these are not going to be the kind of things that we cover on Pope Watch. I'm not giving Vigano the airtime to perpetrate hate other than to point out exactly why. So this is the only time you'll hear me say anything about this kind of discussion unless it's absolutely relevant to the history. Yeah, we don't we don't need every little single spouted vitriol. Yeah, and there's I imagine in the in the next few months there's going to be a lot of that from him. So Regardless of whether you fall, you have now been updated, and I will finish very quickly with thank you to Hannah Brockhouse, Cindy Wooden, Enos San Martin, and Joshua McElwee. These are reporters who are in Rome, and they are working to always bring the best papal news forward, and I appreciate everything they do. They make my job in this so much easier, so thank you so much, and 
Well, I don't know how to end a Pope Watch other than to say thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.